0: This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk.
1: Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Sterk, and today's topic is end-of-year tax planning. So we've got about six weeks left in the calendar year, and we thought it was an opportune time to just point out some things that you might want to think about doing or consulting with your advisor or your CPA about before the end of the year. Now, today I have with me Kelsey Banke. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, Mary. We were kind of laughing in our office because – You know, each month we plan out the different shows that we're going to do and what the topics are going to be. And I was talking with Amy, who usually is on the show about half the time, and her topics were a little bit more lighthearted, like holiday gift-giving strategies. And Kelsey said, well, let me guess. I'm probably going to have to do end-of-year tax planning.
2: (laughs) That's me. All the exciting topics.
1: It's because you're so smart.
2: Well, and and I promise (laughs) to all you listeners, I am a really fun person. I just get to talk about the things that maybe aren't as much fun to think about, like taxes.
1: (laughs) But nevertheless, taxes are really important, especially to a lot of our listeners who are trying to minimize the amount that they have to pay. So that's what we want to talk about today is just some things to think about, looking at, doing, having conversations about before the end of the year. And the reality is, Nobody likes paying more taxes than they have to, but that's exactly what the average investor does because they fail to implement strategies that can increase their long-term after-tax returns and they fail to take advantage of some things inside the tax code currently. I say currently because we don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but currently this is the way that there are some advantages to take uh, if you're smart about what you're doing. So, Let's talk about one thing that a lot of people don't really pay attention to and it's something to be thinking about if you have an investment portfolio that is not an IRA. So we call that a non-qualified investment portfolio. Qualified means that it's an IRA or retirement money of some type and has some special time of tax treatment already embedded in it. Non-qualified means it's just an investment account And it doesn't have anything to do with a retirement account, okay? So one of the non-qualified strategies is called tax loss harvesting. And coordinating with that is offsetting losses, okay? So Kelsey, explain to people a little bit about what the idea is with tax loss harvesting,
2: so what we're trying to accomplish in in that is using any losses that you've had throughout the year Or looking to see if you can trigger any losses at the end of the year and offset gains that have either triggered or that you could trigger at the end of the year. So I like to pay attention to people that um, have a big loss for whatever reason or have a big gain for whatever reason and then identify those as things to look at toward the end of the year to see if there's something that we can do, a way that we can um, place a trade here or there that might help balance those out, either getting some gains out of the portfolio Um, that would be offset by some losses that had been triggered or triggering some losses uh, to offset a large gain that might have occurred during the year and so it it, it's not something that you can just you know guess and do you have to like look at the data and you have to have the data to be able to identify it so we're looking at um, cost basis which is the amount that you paid to purchase that position. Um, And then the gain or the loss would be how much more it's valued at or how much less it's
1: valued at at the time of the sell. So there are things that are short-term and then there are long-term. And basically short-term gains or losses are things that have happened within the last 12 months. And long-term gains and losses are things that have happened for longer than 12 months. So it's kind of a one-year time period delineates the differences between them. And typically, short-term gains and losses are netted against each other to figure out your short-term taxability, and long-term gains and losses are netted against each other to figure out your long-term taxability. Short-term gains are taxed at a different tax rate than long-term gains are. Okay, Now, there's a lot of things in the tax code that are going to be specific to you, but generally speaking, long-term gains rates are lower than the short-term ones. Depends on your tax bracket, but generally speaking, that's how it works. So one of the things to keep in mind is you can't wash out short-term gains with long-term losses. You have to do short against short and long against long. And that's something that sometimes people get a little confused about. But usually when you have an investment account, it'll show right on there, whether they're short-term or long-term, so you know what your netting capability is. Now, why do you want to even do this? Why would you want to mess with this? Well, around the middle of the fourth quarter of the year, so right around now, A lot of the companies, especially mutual funds, trigger something called capital gains distributions, where the mutual funds that you own will push out a capital gains distribution that will be taxable to you. So if you have a portfolio that pushes out $50,000 worth of capital gains distributions, all of a sudden you're going to have a tax bill on that $50,000 worth of capital gains, and they'll tell you if it's short or long-term. More often than not, a good chunk of that is long-term, but it will specify whether it's short or long. So the idea here with tax loss harvesting is once you know that that's happened, which you cannot control, you can offset some of the tax issue with that by looking at your portfolio and selling something that has a loss so that the amount of $50,000 gain might be wiped away from a tax perspective if you can trigger $50,000 worth of losses, okay? So if you did that, It's going to save you the taxes on the gain that you had no control over triggering. And that's why this is important. So especially listeners out there that have larger portfolios and especially listeners out there who are heavy in mutual funds or ETFs or index funds or things like that. Those things are going to trigger their gains sometime soon if they haven't already. And doing your tax loss harvesting look is going to be really important to manage your taxes and help control your bracket before the end of the year. Okay, another thing that we think is important to pay attention to, and sometimes people get burned on this, is this little thing called the wash sale rule. So if you're doing tax loss harvesting... You have to be careful of the wash sale rule because if you do it wrong, then basically your deduction that you're trying to create will get disallowed. (laughs) So basically under the wash sale rule, a loss will be disallowed if within 30 days of you selling something that has a loss, you buy back the identical or substantially similar investments. Okay. So let me kind of give you an example of what that means. Let's say that you had a big loss in an oil stock. So you owned an oil company that had a stock that has a big loss in it. And you had $20,000 worth of losses in there and you sell that to offset $20,000 worth of capital gains you had in another mutual fund. If you sell it and then rebuy another oil stock within 30 days the IRS is going to disallow that deduction. They're going to disallow you washing it. And so that is something really important to consider. You need to wait 30 days to reinvest that money if you're going to reinvest it into something that is identical or substantially similar. A lot of people get caught on that, and I want to make sure you understand that that's a big issue when you're doing tax loss harvesting to be aware of. Okay, So that kind of goes through one major strategy that we wanted to talk about with end of the year tax planning. Another thing I wanted to talk about is gifting. So this is a great time to think about gifting. And we have a lot of clients that call and want to look at what's the best way to do gifting. So Kelsey, share with our listeners what is the amount of gift that somebody can give each year without having a issue with taxes.
2: Sure, Mary. Um, $14,000 each person can gift to any person that they want and not have an issue with taxes. If you start going above that, then um, the IRS might start having an issue and start tra- uh, you know, charging you or taxing you or taxing
1: the, the recipient on that money. Yeah. So think about that. $14,000 if you're trying to do a gift. First of all, gifts have to be completed in the calendar year. So that's your deadline, is the end of the calendar year. And you can give anybody you want to $14,000. So if you're looking to give away a lot of money, then you can gift to a lot of people. If you're married, you and your spouse can each gift $14,000 to the same individual. So for instance, if you're married and had four children... You could you and your spouse can gift each child a total of 28,000 cuz one gift is coming from mom and one gift is coming from dad. So you could gift each child 28,000 total. Now if that child's married, you can also gift their spouse another 28,000 and if your child has children, your beloved grandkiddos, then you can gift each one of your grandkiddos jointly up to $28,000. So there's massive amounts of gift giving that can be done as long as it gets done before the end of the year. So one of the tax strategies is to consider gifting them something called highly appreciated assets. So Kelsey, share with people what highly appreciated assets means. So assets that have
2: earned a lot of money since you originally bought them have a high amount of gain um, would be what we'd consider highly appreciated assets. And in gifting those, it can be a really tax-favorable
1: strategy. Right. So Kelsey was talking earlier about something called a cost basis. And a cost basis is what you bought something for. So let's say you bought a stock for $1,000. And over the year, it's grown. And now it's worth $14,000. Okay? Okay. Your basis in that stock is the $1,000 that you bought it for. And if it's worth fourteen, dollars it means it's had $13,000 worth of gain. If you sell it, that $13,000 worth of gain is going to be taxable at whatever your long-term gain bracket is. Now, if you gift that $14,000 worth of stock to your grandchild, who is in a tax bracket where they pay no taxes or maybe only pay a very small amount of taxes, then in order for them to turn that $14,000 stock into cash is gonna have a lot less tax implication in their bracket than it will in yours. And that's the advantage of gifting highly appreciated assets is to move the tax bracket to a lower tax amount if you wanna turn something into cash.
0: Congratulations to Mary Stirk and the team at Stirk Financial for earning a spot on two Forbes lists: Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors and Forbes Top Women in Wealth for five years running.
1: Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about some end of the year tax planning tips. We've talked about tax loss harvesting. We've talked about the wash sale rule we talked about gifting appreciated assets, and now we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people might not have heard of, and it's called bracket bumping. And bracket bumping is a strategy that people use for Roth IRA conversions. So what this means is you're in a certain tax bracket, and in your tax bracket, there's what's called headroom, where between you and the top of the bracket, Okay, so let's say there's another $30,000 in the tax bracket of headroom before you actually bump into a higher tax bracket. Maybe you're in a 25% bracket now and if you had an additional $30,000 worth of income, it would bump you into the 28% bracket. So bracket bumping is figuring out how much headroom you have that you could conceivably use to stay in the tax bracket that you're in not bump to the next one, but to convert money in your IRAs to a Roth IRA without bumping into that next bracket. Now, why would you want to convert something from an IRA to a Roth IRA? Well, IRAs require you to have a minimum distribution start when you're 70 and a half that is going to be taxable to you. And also, IRAs are taxable when the money comes out. So all of the growth between now and the time that you actually bring that money back out, all that growth is gonna be taxable in a traditional IRA. A Roth IRA is opposite of that. Done right, the growth inside of a Roth IRA will come out tax-free. So if it's going to be a while before you're going to utilize this money, then having it grow tax-free can be a huge advantage versus having it grow in a way that's going to be taxable for you. So for many people, doing Roth conversions is a great idea. Now, it's personal to everyone. It's not a strategy for everyone, but it is something that's worth looking at. And the end of the year is the time to be talking to your CPA and to be doing some strategic planning to understand if you bracket bumped, how much could you convert? And does it make sense for you to do that? Now, bracket bumping for Roth conversions comes with a couple of things that you have to be careful about. Number one, when you do the Roth conversion, you do have to pay taxes now on the amount you convert. You shouldn't have any IRS penalties, but you do have to pay taxes on it. And so you need to have enough cash sitting somewhere else to cover those taxes. The math on this rarely works if you have to take money out of the IRA to cover the taxes on the conversion. So for the strategy to work, you have to have a little cash sitting somewhere else that you can devote to pay the taxes on what you converted. The other thing is you have to be a little careful about doing a Roth conversion strategy with the bracket bumping if you have multiple traditional IRAs in your name. So if you only have one, it makes it a little bit easier. But if you have three or four IRAs at different places out there, then there's some rules of interplay between them that are a little bit interesting and quirky. And before you actually do a conversion, you need to understand the impact that it has on it so you understand the total taxability. So just be careful on that if you have multiple IRAs. Yeah. And
2: and Mary, I think that it's important to note that this is something to really consider and to to look into because we've seen time and time again um, when we've done planning and forecasting for people that um, if the the assets they have are largely traditional IRAs that are going to have that required minimum distribution. Then the amount of money they have to draw from their retirement assets when they get to that point, a lot of times is is exceeding what they even need. But because right. the IRS has that rule, they have to take it out. So if you're planning before you get to that point to reduce the assets in that pool, it can... Um, take the burden off of those accounts of having to take the RMDs at that point. Many times when people are moving into a higher tax bracket because they either um, lost a spouse or, or the RMDs are taking them into a higher tax bracket for income that they didn't need. So um, planning that can be done earlier in um, retirement or before retirement might help you out in those later years of retirement.
1: Good point, Kelsey. Okay, the last strategy that we want to talk about for end-of-the-year tax planning is prepayment of business expenses. And so there are some things that you can plan to prepay before the end of the year that you can then deduct this year, but there is kind of a finite list of those. It's not everything. So some of the different expenses that can be prepaid include a variety of things. So Kelsey, share with us some of those things.
2: Sure. Expenses that can be prepaid include interest expenses on investment or business property, business rent, insurance premiums, including some income protection for individual taxpayers, accounting fees, subscriptions and memberships, things like that um, and depending on what field you're in, there might even be more. I know farmers are really good about this, paying a bunch of business <laughs> expenses ahead of time. I always the remember my rings. dad paying pretty much everything for the next year in, in December. Uh-huh. Um, but so depending on your business, there might be even more and more specific ones or, or your job. There might be others that you can do too. So.
1: so think about that. Like A lot of times people pay their rent on the first of the month for their office space and And you can prepay it in December and get that extra deduction in this calendar year to help bring down some of your taxable income levels. Um, If you know you're going to pay your accountant to do your return here coming up, you can prepay some of those accounting fees. Um, The subscriptions and memberships are interesting too because a lot of times we have memberships hit us in January and those are the things that you can bring back into December to prepay. So it's a good idea to go through your books if you're a business owner and think about what are the things that you can prepay to keep your overall tax level of income down, which then keeps the amount that you actually have due in taxes down. I'm all for paying as little as possible in taxes as long as you pay what you're supposed to. (laughs) So hopefully this has been helpful for you. And if you um, like the idea of bracket bumping or if you'd like to do an initial consultation with us to determine if a Roth conversion makes sense for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can go out to com, and there's actually a scheduling link right on our website. You can talk to Kelsey or you can talk to me. And um, just kind of get an understanding about what would be the impact for you if you decided to do a Roth conversion. and whether or not it actually makes sense from a long-term tax or financial standpoint for you. So we encourage you to do that. Hopefully this has been helpful and you've got some good tips to help minimize your taxes before the end of the year. And we want to thank you for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk.
0: The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.